I'll have what she's having. Hello, this is episode 29 of the Our Better Half podcast about sex over 50. And I'm Laura Lister-Mensch, the infamous middle-aged prude and host. This is August 21st, 2016, and I'm going to tell you more about my trip to a sex conference, and you're going to hear the rest of my conversation with the actor, Nina Hartley, about the term MILF, about aging sexually on screen and in the bedroom, and the film history and tradition of older women mentoring young men sexually, and more. But first, more on the Woodhull Sexual Freedom Summit in Alexandria, Virginia earlier this month, my first experience at a conference about sex. So what was it like being a newbie and easily blushing prude at an event about sex? It was intimidating at first. And you know what? All events where you know no one are intimidating. But from my first encounter, I have to say, and I can't help but wonder if advocates for sexual freedom would be like this, but this is a friendly crowd. At most conferences that I've attended, and even some family reunions that I can remember, there is a tendency for strangers to avoid eye contact. Not here. As I walked down hallways and entered rooms, people's eyes were up and friendly, and eye contact was met with a smile. Really. It was neat, and it was welcoming. The first night, I was invited to a cocktail thing with some of the aging consortium members. More about that later. And I had the thrill of being announced as our blogger since I won a scholarship from the conference to attend the event. And because I'm old, that night I met in person three of my earlier podcast guests, Melanie Davis, Walker Thornton, and Jane Fleischman. It does help in a new crowd to know people a little, and even though I'd never met anyone in person, I'd spent many hours with those voices in my ears, so meeting them was wonderful and welcoming. That first night, I also met a listener, Duncan, and his wife, and I was able to thank him personally for his kind advance intelligence on the event and warm welcome, and they bought me a drink, which was nice. And I tried Uber for the first time, which I loved, and I slept on my mother-in-law's couch, around the corner. So I missed whatever shenanigans everyone gets up to at night at this event after they closed the bar. The next morning, I arrived shiny and bright as I do to register and get my swag bag, which I gleefully dumped out on a couch to survey and photograph, which you can see on the blog at ourbetterhalf.net. But here is my bag. And let's see what's in it. Let's see. There's a bracelet that says respect the answer ask first or ask first respect the answer consent very good there is a door tag that says shh sexual freedom being affirmed here i don't know if i would use that Mm. here is an ad for a female condom an alternative for women which actually sounds really great talk to a bunch of people about that Here is a container of Uber Lube. Very nice. Comes in a little little glass or plastic vial. Clear. Very attractive. It's cute. A condom. It's a one condom. Super sensitive. So sensitive and smooth. It's like a second 
skins, next generation condoms. I, uh, I'm not going to open that for you here. Um, there's a pleasure chest pin, very colorful, has a unicorn on it and a rainbow. There's a brochure for the sex health store, home of the best sexual health products for men and women and a 10% off coupon. Here is a glossy, gorgeous, large brochure for Sports Sheets. Sports Sheets celebrates 20 years catalog. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Here is a flyer for the National Sex Ed Conference in Atlantic City, New Jersey, December 7th to 10th. 100 plus speakers. Apply now for early bird rates. Sexedconference.com. There is a fun toy bag, very colorful, designed by Kareem Rashid, and it's uh, it's a nice little little zipped up bag. I have a guide to responsible anal play from B Vibe, little booklet. A flyer for the Down South Conference, October 13th to 15th, 2016 in Atlanta, Georgia. I have a bookmark for the Sex Ed Store. That's at sexedconference.com. I have a flyer to become a Tantus affiliate, earn money for writing about Tantus. Okay. Another condom. Same thing. Another pin, United B-Vibe. Very colorful. Everything here is very colorful. Nothing dark or scary here. Um, I have a flyer for bevibrant.com, and here's a coupon for 25% off. I have a coupon for 10% off at the comfortzonemd.com. It's a party supply toy lingerie costume and gift headquarters. Save the date, August 3rd to 6th, 2017th in Arlington will be the next Woodhull Sexual Freedom Summit. And the website there is sexualfreedomsummit.org. Here is another condom. It uh, is one I think I picked up off the table for the pleasure chest. And I cannot read what it says on it. Uh, Chatterbait. Voted best cam site, free registration, chatterbait.com, sexual freedom for all. I have a, a fridge magnet. I love sex ed, sexedconference.com. Another sticker I can't read. And let's see. I have a pleasure chest item. It is red. It is about five inches long and... It sounds like this. There you go. There's my swag bag. There's a picture of everything that was on it uh, that I posted the first day of the conference. Okay. That was my swag bag. Back to business. Okay, so there is something about me carrying around condoms and lube and a vibrator in my tote bag that delights me no end. I don't know what my life has come to, but it's a lot of fun. But my first job of the day was putting my preferred pronouns on my name tag. I myself prefer she and her. But at this event, there was a delightful mix of folks who embodied the spectrum. 
There were people whose appearance seemed traditionally of one gender identity who spoke openly of the experience of not having been able to do that before. There were folks whose gender identity was far to the right or left of the traditional line and others with attributes of both. Name tags came in really handy, although I hate staring at people's navels before saying hello. But several times I heard people clarifying, asking what another person preferred, apologizing for making assumptions. It was an environment where individuals were celebrated and the use of they for a person was grammatically correct. At night, identities really sparkled. I attended a cabaret where the costumes on stage vied with the finery in the audience for style and attitude, and genders were flowing. I got to meet episode 20 guests, Black Pomegranate. They were there. And I watched Mr. Black tie up Ms. Pomegranate, and I learned about his handmade and hand-dyed ropes, and it all seemed quite nice. <laughs> Some of my new friends wore corsets, others wore boas. And I'm not sure how many other prudes were in the room, but I can say that my age wasn't an issue. The generational diversity was wide. It was fun. It was loud. It was late. And so I was back to my mother-in-law's couch. But before I leave the question of diversity and the conference venue, let me pause at the bathroom. In the hallway, where exhibitors displayed and most of the conference sessions were held, there were two bathrooms. They had handwritten signs designating them as unisex, and it was clearly something the conference had temporarily arranged and not a new hotel policy. And I learned something about myself that is interesting. I went across the atrium to the women's room when I felt the call of nature. At first, it was because I thought the unisex rooms were single-person toilets and I didn't want to keep someone from using them if they weren't comfortable in the strictly male and strictly female toilets. And it wasn't until the third day that I saw multiple people coming in and out of the unisex rooms, and I realized that I wouldn't be putting anyone out. But I still kept going to the so-called ladies' room. Hmm. It wasn't that I cared what genitalia or identity was using the ladies' room. I genuinely don't. And it wasn't that I minded going to the bathroom in a room with people who identify as male, though... I actually haven't done that yet. I'm just used to ladies' rooms. It, uh, it was me feeling too old in a way, or not yet old enough, to challenge my initial impulse. I thought about it, and I didn't do it. I, I was still afraid of making people uncomfortable with my presence, even though it was obviously me feeling that unease. My intellect and my values had outpaced my pea shyness. And I'm an older lady, and we tend to use toilets a lot. <laughs> And I realized it must have been this way when they racially desegregated bathrooms. It probably took time for people, even people who intellectually and politically knew what was the right and polite thing to do, but needed time to get used to new habits. Dorms have unisex toilets now in colleges. Target, the store, now designates single-user toilets unisex. This is the way it's going and should go. So... My greatest shock at this conference wasn't about sex at all. It was about my own slow evolution on gender and bathrooms. And I'm admitting it in public because I don't think I'm alone, which actually feels way more exposed and embarrassing than anything any bathroom has to offer, which is also as it should be 
because progress can be confronting, but it can't be denied or delayed. You may have heard in the last episode the wonderful comments by Nina Hartley, the actor, about what the Woodhull Summit means to her. But that wasn't actually why she and I were chatting. Hartley is a Woodhull Foundation board member and a very popular figure in both the adult film industry and the feminist porn arena. She has starred in hundreds of films, and she's known for her activism in sex education, especially to college kids. I asked her in passing at the conference about the term MILF, M-I-L-F, which for you without an internet browser stands for Mothers I'd Like to Fondle, or something like that. I wanted to get her take on how this term and this phenomena around the sexiness of older women's bodies has affected her career and what she thinks of it. We caught up this past week by phone to chat, and I learned some things, and I was surprised by some of her insights. I think you will as well. So we were discussing the word MILF. So tell me again where you first heard it. I first heard the term in regards to um, pornography using mature women, but I do believe the word came into the lexicon from the movie American Pie. Um, so there's an, a late adolescent character who was hot, you know, for a friend's mother. But the concept of the older woman, the somewhat older woman, um, initiating the younger man is, is this my Stacy's mom. And, and, uh, you know, so it, it, it's, a uh, common. And I think it is actually really excellent in our culture. If you go back, if you read the Clan of the Cave Bear series, there was a section, the first or second books, where the the tribe has initiation of the, so the women are their feet are painted red. So if you know if you're the red foot woman, you're the initiator of the younger men, and it was considered very positive and a good thing. And I, you know, lucky guy who gets to so positive all around. Um, in pornography. Everything is extreme. So older, younger, bigger, smaller, lighter, darker, taller, shorter, you know, the biggest, the best, big, there's more. It's a cartoon. People forget that uh, that uh, visual pornography, especially videos, is, is a live action cartoon. They mistake it for real, air quotes around the word real, and think that it is somehow has a message to to give people. People who don't like pornography think that there's some cabal of pornography producers who sit around once a month and say, how shall we keep women down? How shall we make them hate themselves? And it's, it's much more anarchic than that. <laughs> so, uh, MILF came, you know, so MILF came into the lexicon through popular media, as these things do, but it really hits on something that I think is a lot deeper. Um, traditionally, of course, with traditional patriarchal culture, you have the older, the older experienced male preferring the younger, inexperienced female to mate with and be the mother of his children. She prefers an older, more established male to keep her secure, blah, blah, blah. And the older woman who picks on who who chooses younger men is considered somehow predatory or sick or oh poor thing she just can't accept it she's getting older without thinking for a moment that all things being equal for mental health and those kinds of things that the older female younger male um combo is actually really really effective because Young men are eager to learn. Um, they have a lot of energy. And to put them with someone their own age and of, e of equally inexperienced life 
um, is the blind leading the blind. So you get clumsy boys and young women who think that was awful. And were you, did you, did you assault me? It's like, no, my hand slipped. Sorry. So if you have an older woman who can help coach him and tame him and teach him some things and then send him off into the world to be better with women. My joke is when I talk to young men is I can't fuck them all myself. I need your help. Um, <laughs> and more importantly, most women are heterosexual. So even if, I was next to them. I'd never have a chance with them. So if I want, if I want my skill set to get out there in the world. If I want to multiply my skill set, or, or I need to instill it into young men um, who are going to go off hopefully and have a sexual life. You know, and even if he only makes love to one woman his whole life, at least it'll be better sooner, right? I play with younger people. I call it catch and release. Because, you know, we now I'm in my 50s. If I'm with someone in his 30s, we're 30 years apart in life cycle. It's not appropriate for him to stay. I don't want him to stay. But I would like to teach him, give him a good lesson for six weeks and teach him about cock control and and masturbation and cunnilingus and how to kiss and how to how to give a decent neck rub, how to use his hands effectively without being a jerk. I mean, just being better with women. And I, I love teaching those skill sets because I know that the young person in question is going to have, if they can calm down at the idea of having sex with somebody, then it's going to be better. If they're walking going, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, I don't know anything. We know how that went back in high school. Um, so if I can give him um, a younger person, a skill set and women too, I mean, it's the same thing. Um, if I can give a younger person a skill set that helps them be more relaxed and at ease in social situations, I've done my job. If I can give someone skill sets that makes their sexual conversation a little easier, less awkward, or makes their sexual encounter a little more mutually pleasurable, I've done my job. So the concept, I think, has a lot of merit just in terms of we we for me before I even knew that porn existed, I always wanted to I always wanted to be the prostitute that you took your son to to initiate him. Because I like young boys, I'm nice that way. And um, young boys, obviously, 18 plus, blah, blah. But for me, the older I get, the younger 18 is, you know. So when I talk about (laughs) 18 is young, or you know, right? It's like, oh, my God, were we ever that old? Oh, my God, we were. Ah! Um, So I always, I always, I like being a teacher. So for me, being a MILF or a cougar or whatever is something that I wear with pride because I, I live to tell the tale. And as I tell people, I'm old enough to be your mom, but I'm no one's mom. So it's not creepy. (laughs) Okay. I heard you say once that uh, you were surprised by this phenomenon, that this, this was a change for your career or maybe for the business. Oh, absolutely. Oh, for sure. It it, uh, extended my career to now. I mean, it's, um, I started when I was 25 and the only older women in the business then were Aunt Peg, who was basically retiring in 1980. I started movies in 84. Aunt Peg retired in 84. She did like one last movie with me. And there are a couple others who are also on the end of their careers. So I have had people who have been fans of mine since I was 25, since the beginning. And then when Nina Hartley admitted to being 40 years old, I had a whole influx of new fans. Whole, whole new uh, category of person became my fan who fetishized age, who, who who their thing is older. Before their thing was blondes or blue eyes or bubble butts or whatever they liked me for. But now a whole bunch of people added to that because they like me because I was older, because I was forty plus, which is a fetish category. It's um 
not, and not all people who like older women are actually submissive. Um, some just like older women because the, the, the teaching thing, the learning thing. Older women don't play the games that young girls do. And I tell young men all the time, you know, you should definitely try dating older for a minute because they don't want your ring, they don't want your money, and they don't want your baby. Um, <laughs> hell no. So um, you, the, of course, the, the shadow side of that is younger people who will use emotional manipulation to, to seduce older people. So they, a healthy older woman can certainly have sex with a younger man and not be a predator and not be a succubus and not take advantage and then let him leave him in better shape than she found him. Opposite side, of course, it can be a very unhealthy emotional entanglement with mommy issues or losing youth fear issues or, or the other, the dark side of that. Um, so if you, you and I are similar age, remember in the seventies, they said, you know, all intergenerational relationships were inherently um, unhealthy and power imbalanced period, full stop. No more, no conversation about that. And I never believed that. I thought it was more takes, depending on the people involved. Older people have a lot to offer young people. So if I want to learn how to fix my car, I'm going to go to a mechanic who's been fixing cars for a long time. I'm going to, so if, if I'm going to apprentice myself, I want a journeyman, carpenter, auto mechanic, cook, organic gardener, paint, whatever it is. So if I want to apprentice myself for sexual purposes, I want someone who's older and has some experience that they can pass on to me knowing it has a finite end point. And this is going to end and you're going to go off and be with people your own age. This is a temporary thing. It could be honest affection between us, but this is not developing into a relationship. Generational difference in age to make for a long-term relationship, but it's unlikely and not common. Um, I, I don't have numbers. I don't. I, it's not a scientific study. But I've only known one couple where the woman is thirty plus years older than the guy that has succeeded over time. They are as in love now as they were when I first met them. I mean, that, that has not cooled down at all. Yay them! Woo. But mostly, you know, does, it's not appropriate because people of those generational differences are, differences are such different age, uh, different uh, life life stages. That's the word. Yes, my first boyfriend was 21 years older than me, and he was at the age where he wanted to have babies. It's like, I'm 20. <laughs> yeah. You know, I wasn't, and, and it turned out I wasn't set out to be a mom anyway. I still have no babies. I'm very happy to have no babies. Praise be to be Jesus that I have no babies, um, although I like other people's babies. So that, that's usually what, what it run, runs down on, or the, you know, one person gets older and the sex is no longer the same, and uh, it, so it's a... It's supposed to, some, some women hate the word MILF because it's crude. Other people hate the word cougar because it's predatory. Um, but there is a thing when you, when you talk, you have to, for me, I don't mind there being some word that denotes a generational category. Um, I'm now, of course, unfortunately, I see my picture in granny porn. But if, if I had grandkids, they'd all be in grade school. I, would, I can't, I, unless I'd had a baby at 16 who had a baby at 16 who had a baby at 16, um, I would not be able to have an adult grandchild. They would be kids. They'd be little kids, um, which is, I don't have any. Yay! <laughs> do you have kids? I do, too. How old? How old? Uh, 28 and 18. Nice. Yeah. So... I got to admit, I never thought of it this way, the way you've just described it in the mentoring. Mm. I, I've got to admit, the first time I heard the term, what I thought of is ugh, more pressure on women to look young when they're older. 
Oh, good point. No, so, okay, so, so, um, and I don't know what it's like where you live, but in L.A., we do see our, in Vegas, we see a lot of women who are, well, I'm thinking, dressing inappropriately youthful. So, uh, for me, MILF is a way to be appropriately sexy. So, for example, the best accoutrement, the, the best, the best accessory for a MILF is a kitten. And the best accessory for a kitten is a MILF. So the kitten, i.e. a younger woman, her a kitten is 18 to 25-year-old woman. I would have killed to have an older wing woman when I was younger because being alone with a boy, are you crazy? You know, Mr. Goodbar calling, yeah, no, no. So my job as the old woman is to be certainly sexy but covered up, you know, age appropriately sexy. Okay. Her job as the sweet young thing is to be that is to have to wear the mini skirt or the whatever because she's young and, and young young flesh is lovely and delicious and isn't it nice? And so another series of movies I've always wanted to make is is to do that is is go, I'll go on the date with you and I will help with the conversation I'll help with the negotiation and because it can be dangerous to be young and excited and and, and naive in a bar with people you don't know. That's my job. My job is to be the designated driver, to not let you get too drunk, to, you know, just all those kinds of things. So for me as a MILF, I dress in a way, as a woman who is older and sexual, I dress on camera and in real life in ways that I feel sexy. Mm -hmm. I see women in my business who do everything they can to stay young looking. They get injections, they get spray tans, they, I am way too lazy with that shit, woman. I tell you what, you know, I love breaking a sweat. You do? Ah! So I, mean, I, I need to work out just for health purposes. I mean, it's not even about vanity. It's just for, I'm 57. I need to work out for my health. But I am not wearing no mini skirt. So I, I, no longer, I no longer need to compare myself to younger people. They're 25. And my 25-year-old self would stand perfectly well to your 25-year-old self. But I'm 57. I don't need to be 25 anymore. That's your job. Your job is to be the sweet young thing. And my job is to be the one that makes sure you don't run out into traffic and get hit by a car. Okay. I would hope that again, then again, many women who are my age don't, haven't had the sexual experience that I've had. And they are more conventionally, conventionally raised and more conventionally thinking about sex. And so... Um, I don't know what it's like to be heterosexual monogamous. If I was heterosexual monogamous, I would probably hate aging hmm. because a heterosexual person, I would need a man person to be happy. Hmm. And as a monogamous person, I need one man person to want me as his mate to be happy because I'm heterosexual monogamous. And then I would probably fear aging more because then all of the women are my competition. And as a bisexual poly person, women are my allies. They're my friends. They're my peeps. They're my they're my buddies. They're my fuckmates. Say hey. So I'm no. So I have a different attitude toward aging than I think a conventional person might, simply because I know as a queer person, my sexual options will never run out. Oh. I know. I know that no matter how old I get, there'll be someone who is interested in being naked with me because not not because I'm Nina Hartley, but because. Queer people are not so hung up on surface appearances as conventional people are. Queer people, as a rule, as a generalization, are more able to see the energy of the person mm -hmm. and respond to that. That being said, while I can have a lot of pleasure with people once or twice, I do feel more strongly attracted to certain physical packages than other physical packages. Mm -hmm. However, as I tell people, the beautiful, physically beautiful person with no energy hit versus an average person with good energy, I'm always going to go with the energy. 
I mean, that, that's just, I've, I've done, I've, ha- I've had enough sex with beautiful people on camera who are just dead fish. We call them locks, L-O-X, locks. It's like, mm. she laid there like a locks. Um, so, because she relied on her beauty to be enough. And in pornography, if you're only going to make a half a dozen movies, your beauty can be enough. Mm-hmm. But it won't make you a star because people who are pornography connoisseurs want a performance, want to know that you're, want to believe that you're liking it too. Um, so, aging, I'm not... I mean, sometimes I hate aging because I can see my brain doing things or I, if I look down and I, if I really wanted to spend a lot of time picking apart my body, I could. But I, I try not to because I know that actually in an erotic situation, my partner's not thinking about that either. I have control over the lighting, <laughs> you know, and I also know. Uh, so on camera, I'm always in lingerie. I wear some kind of I wear some kind of semi covering outfits to hide my cellulite, my pale legs with the spider veins that showed up when I turned 40. Ah, what the fuck? What the fuck is this? Um, oh, my mother's leg showed up, bitch. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, uh, so on camera where people are going to be looking, I do wear costumes. Mm-hmm. So, that I, so, so that I feel confident on camera. At home, I don't need to do that. I feel perfectly sexy being naked with people um, because I work with queer people. And so they're lumpy, they're bumpy, they're older, they're younger, they have scars. They've had, you know, so we all, we all understand that in our, in our culture, in queer culture, you don't body shame anybody, period, full stop. You just don't do that. And you're not permitted to do that. You're not permitted to, to make comments about people's appearances that aren't complimentary. Um, that's just rude. And in mainstream culture, people still feel still people have not had their consciousness raised in this area still feel OK to snicker or snort or poke fun at people's appearances. You see it on the Internet all the time. I'm sure there's plenty of horrible things written about me on the Internet, but I don't go looking for it. And I also I also know but thanks to my parents Zen practice. I've been exposed to Zen for my whole life. I also know that people's attitudes about me are completely reflections of them and not about me. So I, I, I understand that dynamic very well praise be to jesus well it was fantastic to meet you there thank you for the work you're doing you're so you're so very welcome bye let's take a moment for our episodes kegel break wherever you are right now old bodies Take a moment to squeeze and release those lovely pelvic floor muscles. And for a sound effect, let's listen to this little red toy in my swag bag. Feel better? In case you missed it in the news of sex this week, the Summer Olympics are on, and so the news is very much about athleticism and sex. Is it just my newsfeed, or is everyone hearing a lot about how many condoms are handed out at the Olympic Village, 42 per athlete apparently, and folks doing it on the roof and on the beach, and one couple behind a news reporter who insisted they were reading a book in a strange position. There have been scandals and conflicts between athletes about sex, and that Tinder is on fire in the Olympic Village. It stands to reason that putting together so many very fit and young travelers together would lead to record-breaking events off the field of play, too. But what about the perennial question of whether sex makes you a better athlete? 
a study came out this month that said that judges are still tallying the numbers, but apparently what you think sex does to your performance is what matters. If you think it helps you, then it probably will. And if you think sex saps your athletic performance, it probably will. They say that sex is mostly mental, so it seems it's athletics. And another example of how we can get our health advice just by reading headlines, quote, people who are more charitable have more sex, unquote, was my favorite this week. For novelty, I actually read the article instead of just patting myself on the back for all my charitable works. The answer, according to the study, is yes, give more, get more. No word on whether it's cause or effect, but it seems win-win to me. Are you worried about global warming? Well, how about global drawing? Make sure to check out the show notes to a link to the Revive survey in Europe about how postmenopausal women's thinking and function differs across nations. Male animals often put on a show and tell when attracting females. The plumage and ornaments are legendary, though human males are often outdone by the females in this regard. So leave it to evolutionary biologists to dig into the role of the so-called extravagant male traits in the animal kingdom, in how monogamy and ornamentation may be related, in the August issue of Molecular Ecology Journal. It turns out socially monogamous species, at least in birds, are less likely to go to all of the genetic trouble in terms of plumage. Interesting. I have to admit, that when I first read about Sweden's public health agency conducting studies to make sure that the famously sexually open Swedes are still having their usual high level of fun in the bedroom, I was amused. Having a government concerned with making sure you're happy in bed is so alien to me as an American that I was equal parts amused and horrified. But then I read this comment by a government policymaker there that this is also a political problem, he said, when people are not happy with their lives and not happy in bed. And I thought, what if the recent angst in the U.S. political system is simply a sign of something gone wrong sexually? What if the falling rates of youthful sex and all the wrangling about same-sex marriage and our strange new way of mating by swipe direction, not to mention the body image issues inherent in a culture of outward appearance, well, could sexual unhappiness be driving this most strange or maybe sublimated political season? What would happen to polling if there was more polling? (laughs) Would less sexual tension and better orgasms reduce the angry mobs? Imagine if Americans woke up deeply satisfied and cuddly. Something to consider. You've heard of animal rights. All about animal cruelty and testing and vegetarianism, right? Well, add another concern. Are your pets being infantilized and neutered, literally leading sexless lives at your side, companions without nookie? Well, the artist Kang Yi is reframing all of that. He has designed a dating app, contraception innovations, even a pet sex park. He's thinking about not just sex, but love, and having pet owners arrange their lives around the relational and sexual desires of their charges. I'm picturing you right now. You're looking at the cat peacefully snoozing at your side and you're having thoughts you've never had. You're feeling differently about your retriever's dreams. You want to feel better? Check out the artist's website. New York City's least populous and most conservative borough apparently leads the way in online sex product purchases and SNM website registrations. We know who you are, zip code 10314. 
which consists of the neighborhoods of New Springville, Willowbrook, and Westerly, because you had more online purchases from Adam and Eve, a sex toy site. And while we're thinking of New York, here's this. If you have $10,000 U.S. to spare, that's the price to get into a new sex club that is so cool it doesn't have vowels, the SNCTM Club. The owner hopes to have its first party in September if you can afford it, or you can save the price of a used car and just grab a friend or two. You may not have wondered whether sex is better while drunk or taking drugs, but luckily people study these things. The Washington Post and other outlets reported this week on the results. Apparently, alcohol lowers your standards on who you sleep with, while marijuana can lower your skills and attention while you're doing it. Orgasms, notably, reported to be better on marijuana than alcohol. Your mileage may vary. Also, take careful note of what your partner means by the munchies. Check out the show notes at ourbetterhalf.net. Remember to subscribe or add your name to the mailing list for notice of new episodes. It's time to turn in for the week. Old people, enjoy your orgasms until next time. You're worth it. Hey, this is Dan Savage from the Savage Lovecast and Savage Love, and you're listening to a Swing Set podcast at Swing Set FM. 